Disciples Podcast, powered by Awana. I'm your host, Ross Cochran. Thanks for listening. I am so glad that you are here. Those of you who have been listening for a while know that we are going through what we are calling the three B's, which are how we're describing the philosophy behind resilient child discipleship. The three B's stand for belong, believe, and become. And if this is your first time checking out the podcast, welcome. I know you're going to enjoy today's conversation, but I would strongly encourage you to check out the other episodes in your podcast feed so you walk away with a fuller picture of what this looks like in your local context. Now, I said the three B's are philosophy, but really they are a how-to guide for making resilient disciples. And just like the last two episodes, today's episode is in two parts. First, we'll check back in with Chris Marchant. He and I discussed how we're all becoming something and that outside influences are playing an increasingly major role in what we become. What God wants you and the children you care about to become looks a lot different than what the world is trying to shape you and your kids into. In part two of this episode, I'm joined by Melanie Hester and Brian Rhodes. Melanie and Brian are a father and daughter. They've been connected to Awana for a long time. But most importantly, they deeply care about making resilient disciples. I'm really excited for you to meet them. Oh, and stay tuned to the very end of this episode for an exciting announcement about this podcast. Until then, here is episode 12 of the Resilient Disciples podcast. I think we define becoming as, so in the, in the book we talk about it as a truly experiential ministry designed to move kids from simulation to real world application of faith-based living. That's a great book definition <laughs> for that. And, and, it, and you're like, and I'm sure that a lot of you out there are like, that's great. That sounds awesome. But how do you do that? Yeah. How do you, how do you get kids to live outside, especially to live their faith outside the simulation? And I think for, for us who are practitioners in the local church, there could be a conversation about level setting. Like what, what is the end game? What, what is the goal? What define the win is the win just excellent instruction with no desire to actually see it lived out. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because if that's the case, just keep populating information on organic hard drives. Like just, (laughs) yeah, just keep, just just keep save all. That's interesting. And if that's the way that, you know, you want to define your ministry, but at some point you got to go, you got to go do something with that. Yeah. So all that information that you're storing on organic hard drives, it needs to have a an an outlet, a release, mm-hmm. a um, an exposure at some point. And so when we move kids from, you know, this simulated environment, because I'm I'm on one hand I'm not dogging the the simulated world. I'm so glad that there are some things in this world that we have a simulation for. Absolutely. I'm so glad that airline pilots spend time <laughs> in a simulation. Um, you know, cause could you just even imagine what it'd yeah. be like for that airline pilot just to go, Hey guys, just want to let you know, I've taken it up and down a couple of times, but this is my first fully loaded simulator, you know, for fully yeah. loaded experience. And you all get to kind of rate me at the end of this. People would be running yeah. off that plane. Yeah. Why? Because you need flight time. Mm. Um, it's no different also from like for in the medical profession. You know, if, if there wasn't time spent in the lab or spent doing skills labs, you would have someone that's like, hey, I'm going to 
I'm going to cut you open for the first time and we're just going to kind of see how this goes. Yeah. Uh, so there's a need in a place uh, for simulation in order to develop skills in order to run into different scenarios, to do role play, to, to ask yourself, what would I do if I came to this certain set of circumstances? But I think that so much the church kind of leaves it there mm-hmm. rather than, okay, here's what you learned inside of the simulation. Now step outside the simulation. And especially when it comes to children, allow them to put their faith into practice. What does a simulation look like uh, in the children's discipleship world? Like define that term a little bit for people in this particular context. Mm, I, I think when we, you know, when we talk about simulation, sometimes we also talk about, we use the word program. Your, okay. your program is essentially the the roadmap of what keeps you um, engaged inside of the simulation. So uh, one of the reasons why we, you know, again, we talked about this on the previous podcasts, like this isn't, this isn't anything new, this whole philosophy, but pretty much your philosophy is your, it's the, the philosophy of your ministry is the invisible operating system of how you do what you do. Yeah. So if, if all like, if your goal is to make disciples, but they never get outside of the church, they never influence your community, they never fail or mess up or make mistakes or are allowed to be anything less than perfect, instruction-receiving, well-behaved, moralistic, therapeutic deism kids, (laughs) then are you really making disciples? And are you really living outside of the simulation? Are you training and equipping them to live outside the simulation because if not then you're just setting them setting themselves up to set up you know uh, to, to set up tables in the fellowship hall and chairs in student ministry for the next several years until they go well actually that person over there had something more interesting to talk about and I'm gonna go spend my time with them yeah you no and that like I think it's it's important for people because I think there's a segment of people who probably are listening to this who hear like words like simulation here, words like artificial intelligence here, some of the stuff that I think you in particular as a, as an individual have a lot of passion around and yep. it causes sort of this immediate tune out, right? Mm-hmm. Like I know that like my dad's a pretty hip guy, but I know that at a certain point I can go into Twitter analytics and I lose them. <laughs> and I think there is a, a lot of leaders, especially in the, in this children's deception space who, feel like the, the world has already sort of passed them by. Mm. And as a result, you, I know I have been, I've been tempted to do this um, in my local practitionering, in my practitionering. Yeah. I'm gonna say that's word. I feel if, for those of you who get a chance to know Chris, like Chris just l- l- rattled off like 12 different brilliant adjectives to describe children. And I just said the word practitioner, just so you understand the context <laughs> of who's having this conversation. But anyway, that you sort of wind up leaning on the simulation, mm. right? Because it's like this whole thing feels so scary and I'm not equipped to handle this. So to quote you from a previous uh, conversation, like let's just focus on the four beige walls and the folding chairs. Yeah. And cause that feels like I can do that. It feels like it's covered. Like I feel like mm-hmm. it's important for people who feel like they've lived in the simulation that many of you did that starting at a good place. Yeah. And I think it comes back to also there's comfort in systems of control. If I can control the menu, if I can control, well, and and we can go down an entire tangent on just controlling the menu of your children from like a parent's perspective. Sure. But if I, 
that's what, what is, what's causing me to make the decisions that I make inside of my ministry. Is it fear-based reasoning? Is it, is I'm making a decision based on the fear that I have? Am I trying to exercise a measure of control? Um, I, I think really quickly, and one of the books that I was just impacted by, um, was, uh, Dr. Tim Kimmel's grace-based parenting. I think it's a fantastic book, just his approach, but just this idea of letting, letting go and, seeing the partnership that we have in the Holy spirit yeah, to not only train and equip our kids, but also raise our kids. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes the, the fear that drives the simulation keeps kids from the impact that they could potentially make on a much larger scale because we just, we, we want them to do, we want them to meet our expectations. Um, uh, adults, you know, and, I mean, this might be this might be the ultimate duh saying, but adults don't like to be surprised by things. We are not a <laughs> surprise culture. Yeah, <laughs> we like to know and we want to know uh, before it happens. And so, when it comes to our kids, it's really easy to kind of default to a "I'm going to let them live inside the simulation." Mm-hmm. I'm going to program out every activity and everything. And I, I just remember a professor of mine, he challenged us in undergrad to say, you know, if the, the Holy Spirit left your ministry, how long would it take before you realized he was gone? Because when we overprogram things from a human perspective and don't factor in the spiritual side into like our ministerial calculus, we end up with a, a just a, a incredibly unbalanced equation. Yeah. I, I think our kids wake up every single day and the reality is, is for our kids, something is influencing a piece of code into their system to write or rewrite their, their narrative of how they view themselves. Back in the day, I, I believe MTV is quoted was saying that, um, uh, hey, parents, don't worry about raising your kids. If you don't want to do it, we will. Oof. Um, which there's a whole generation out there probably listening to this podcast that has no idea what MTV is and <laughs> just, you know, don't, don't, don't realize necessarily. And then the rest of you are just like, Oh, if we could only, um, it was, that, just, yeah, it, was it was a simpler time. It was a simpler time. Simpler time. Yeah. Um, but just how formative that, 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 um, cultural, um, medium was to a generation, um, in terms of influencing them with artistry and music and all things good and bad on that spectrum. Um, but I think the reality that we need to pick up there is that as a parent, um, I need to be cognizant and aware of the fact that there are, that there are influences standing ready to rewrite my kid's narrative today. Yeah. Which is also why the gospel is so powerful and so necessary, especially at, at any time in, in history, even now is that that's the beauty of the gospel is that it has the permanent power to rewrite the truthful and factual narrative of your kid's life Amen. and to do it all in accordance um, with how God sees them, what God desires for them, uh, their place, their purpose, their path, all of it. And I just, I think we need to be aware. And so why are we talking about technology and all of these things? So for the parent and for the practitioner to go, you need to step into this space. Mm. You need to do kind of a little bit like one of my favorite movies out there is just the Tron universe from Disney. (laughs) I mean, not saying that you have to get inside the computer, but you do need to step inside of that world a bit. Um, Again, we've talked about going native with your kids. 
about being a researcher of your kids. This is an area where you need to buy a ticket to a digital space and step into it. Yeah. Um, why? To make observations about their world and what they engage in and just how they interact with their daily reality around technology. Because there's things that they're picking up here that they're taking out of a digital space and into their physical space in yeah. terms of how they interact with people. Mm-hmm. The um, precision of language, the the effectiveness of communication. We're increasingly become a culture that doesn't take a long time to say the things that we really want to say anymore. Amen. It's really fast communication. And with that, you don't, you don't get the full context or the full story. Um, and if you, and if you don't believe that, think about the anxiety you get when someone calls you compared to when they text you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, this generation. So there's a, 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 for, I would say boomers and Xers, they are totally fine texting the phrase, Hey, we need to talk mm-hmm. and it, let that be that this generation the millennials, Gen Z, the future, like because of the anxiety that they possess, like they, that they can't handle that. <laughs> so, like, what do you want to talk about? Like, because they don't see uh, communication happening in an asynchronous format. It's synchronous. Interesting. It, it, it is ongoing. It is constantly um, a constant engagement. Why? Because you have the technological means through text messaging to tell me what you mean right now. What do you mean we need to talk? Let's talk right now. Wow. <laughs> and so how they engage just from communication is different, hmm. which I also think just even going back to the times of like Downton Abbey, I don't know if there's any Downton Abbey fans on the show, <laughs> um, but I, I just find it fascinating that they're like, yeah, I'm going to go write some letters today. And there was really important information in those letters. And it took weeks, sometimes months yeah, to get that information to people. And they were okay. They were, they functioned okay, somewhat okay. Or at least they, they depict in Downton Abbey that they're okay. <laughs> The, the clothes were kind of hot. Yeah, that it, was, it was a dirtier yeah, time. Yeah. That their universe is just fine. Why? But, well, because we've gotten comfortable with just the, the speed of, of communication. But for those of you that know that, you know, anytime you do something fast and you're not an expert at it, you can stumble. Yeah. <laughs> really Amen. quickly. Um, and I think that's where we find some of our kids where there's a depth of information that they want to tell us, especially about what they're becoming. Because, you know, if you want to talk about a conversation about what your kids are becoming, you need to go have a conversation with your kids because <laughs> they have the front row seat to it. Yeah. Which is even a great question on the, for a practitioner is like, ask your kids, what do you think you're becoming? Mm. What, what, what is, what passion has God placed on your heart? What is one of the, what's one of those things that makes you pound the table? Because not only does it make you so upset, but you want to go do something about it because you feel like you can. Even asking your kids, what is what's something, you know, for the kids who are future artists, what do you see that you don't think anybody else sees? Because that's the beauty of art. The beauty of art and artists is that you help people see what they can't see. Amen. And so ask, step into your kid's space, whether it's physical or digital, and ask them these questions. How do you get to the point where you can engage in this if this is something that you haven't stepped in before? Yeah, I think you bring up a good point because I think you earn the right to help a child become... I don't think it's something that's just given. Mm-hmm. I, I think you earn it. And um, not in the sense of a of an achievement culture of just you do the work, like you said, of belonging. You, you earn it through relational engagements by building trust, by um, building 
a, a understanding and a framework of how your character and their character intersects, how what they care about and what you care about intersect. You, you, you do the hard relational work up front. And then you talk about the, the big existential questions <laughs> about what if and why and yeah. how and, you know, all, all, all that we get to play with inside of that universe of thought. And when you've done that work, now you get to step in. And the beauty is, is that no adult will ever hand you that pass. The child will hand that ticket to you to step into their world and say, help me. Help me become. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. It's time for a new conversation. Resilient Child Discipleship and the Fearless Future of the Church is now available. The book is an honest calling to ask robust questions about the future of faith. In the midst of changing cultural landscapes, this book is a love letter to the church about the children who will one day lead and minister in the face of cultural adversity. Resilient Child Discipleship looks beyond the tactics of everyday ministry and focuses our energy on the few key factors that truly contribute to effective long-term discipleship. Get a copy for you and your team today at ResilientDisciples.com. Hey, I'm back. While I have you here, now is probably a good time to remind you to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already, and that by taking the time to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, you're helping more people discover the show. Thank you for your help in getting the conversation out to as many folks as possible. Like I said in the beginning, we're going to shift gears now to Melanie Hester and Brian Rhodes, two people who care deeply about making resilient disciples. They've both been in this world of children's ministry for a really long time. What stands out to me about them is that their mission, their family mission is aligned with making resilient disciples. And even if you wouldn't use that language, there are some of you out there whose family mission is the exact same thing. I started the conversation with Brian, asking him how much he thought about what his kids would become. Seemed like a valid question because one of his six children was sitting right next to him. Here's part of my conversation with Melanie and Brian. I do know this. I, I know that um, both then I felt like what was going to work for our family was for us to figure out how to make sure that that when the time came, there were hooks in their lives that they were going to be able to to make good decisions. Mm. And 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 that was going to start when they were four and five and six and ten, not not necessarily just eighteen, nineteen, and twenty. And um, so at that time, I have to be honest, Ross, I didn't know, like, like what was that perfect, when, when was I going to stop influencing the kids? And I know a lot more about those kind of things now, but um, it was just a passion that we have. And, and um, I would even, it, it would be really good. I was actually thinking that you should have Sandy and Melanie on this, on this uh, <laughs> talk because, you know, Sandy had a deep passion because she was a young Christian. Sandy got got saved after we had gotten married, just a few months after we'd gotten married. Okay. And Sandy often says uh, her opportunity to to uh, build spiritual things into the kids was also an opportunity for her to grow as a believer. Mm. Uh, whereas I got saved when I was eight and had been saved a long time and really walked away from the Lord. Different testimony. And so so I, I think a combination of some of those things. But if you ask me now, I'll, I'll turn 60 on my next birthday. If you ask me now... Um, Sandy and I both, our heartbeat was for them, uh, to become followers of Christ. We, we, 
we we knew a long time ago that um you know while we used to call ourselves Christians we knew that could there could be a big 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 gap between that and 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 actually walking a life that follows the savior and so you know it was it was always our passion that our kids would grow up and we learned early on that that we we didn't believe that was when they were 18 in fact we believed early on that that means at every stage of their life, there's something they can be doing that's measuring whether they are becoming a more effective follower of Christ. Now, it started with, with coming to know Christ as their Savior. But that part wasn't hard because they had older, you know, I mean, after our oldest, there was always somebody that was telling them about Jesus, and they were getting <laughs> it in their puggles, well, not puggles, in their cubbies books on. Yeah. You know, so, so you know, that, that coming to know Jesus part was a really... Um, that that kind of just happened. That that was going to come along. But what I what I love to see, we we said to each other, we said, "How will they take their faith for themselves? When will that happen?" And and for me, I, I think when I was I was in church Wednesday night after the week I was born. I mean, I I was in church all my life, and when I got to high school, I really strayed away from the Lord and. It, it was not a good season for me. I'd love to go back and not have that in my life. Yeah. Um, and and so sometimes as parents, you want to do differently some of the th- experiences you had in your own life or maybe in your parents' lives or, you know, and so you want, and, and that was a part of mine. I wanted to focus on my kids' lives when they were going to take their faith for themselves. And so so it, it was important to us. And when we, we, we got some good counsel and, um, we decided that before our oldest turned 16, we were going to take all of our kids. We didn't know how we were going to do it, but we were taking everybody on a mission trip to a country where they didn't have the kinds of things that we had. Mm. And it so awesome. before our oldest turned <laughs> six, huh? It was awesome. Yeah. Before our oldest turned 16, we were Awana missionaries. We figured out how to raise the money. Um, we, we took all six kids to Romania, and we stayed there for five or six weeks. Wow, and we, I mean, who does that? We traveled right? every part of Romania. Um, we were with the missionary family, the Awana missionary family in Romania. So we were doing things that we all were mutually part of, and and it, it changed our family, Ross. I mean, it just changed everything about us. Our kids didn't want to go home. They they didn't take any of their clothes home. They yeah. left them all there. Yeah. They they were like, we don't we don't think we want to go back into our culture because it's all about labels and other things. And there's such a real truth of this culture. And and you know they they said, Dad, you and Mom just go home, sell the house, pack things up, and just bring everything back over here. Wow. And we said we can't do that <laughs> <laughs> for obvious reasons. We understand now as adults. Yeah. <laughs> but two years later, we did do that because we went back home. And we kept doing what we believe God was calling us to do. And two years later, we were asked, I was asked to go and be the area director for Europe and North Asia for Awana. Wow. And we literally did move to Budapest, Hungary, which is the neighbor of Romania. So I appreciate that. My so job we is pretty weak. Yeah. So, it's okay. <laughs> so we, we, we actually did go back over and do that. But I, I just, I think our, our deep passion was, was to do everything that we could that, that we knew to help our kids to become um, strong followers of Christ. So so to become resilient disciples, I didn't know to call it that at that time. Uh, <laughs> but that's that's really what we wanted to see our kids do. Melanie, what do you want your kids to become? Oh, man. Um, I, I hope that they, I hope that they 
become completely dependent upon the Lord. And without that sounding um, too cliche or cheesy, um, <laughs> my, my personality type is one that I really like to watch those that are around me and learn from them and then act in the ways that they should have. Nice. Um, and for a while, it was really useful. It was super <laughs> helpful um, because it kind of gave me... Um, a leg up, so to speak, because especially with five other siblings, I was like, oh, that was a bad call. I'm not going to do that one. <laughs> right. And so um, that quickly dissipated in adulthood when I began to think that that life was structured in such a way that um, I could kind of control it. Mm. And in all honesty, that all came tumbling down with the loss of our son four years ago. And the Lord's just kind of begun to build me um, back together with, with a very different perspective that says, um, it has nothing to do with what you can or can't do. Or, and, and, and it truly has even nothing to do with, um, the amount of dedication and passion you have in your life to serve me. It's choosing to be embraced by me and mm. choosing to say, like, I, I just want to be known. So, um, uh, so that my face reflects the image of our father. Um, I think back to in Exodus when, when Moses is coming down off the mountain the second time, I, I'm pretty sure the second time, and the people were scared of him yeah. because his, his face reflected that he had been with the father. And, and so I, I pray two things. I pray one, that they see that in me, and two, that they have that as well. You know, I will say that it's cool that in in a world of of generations um the things you do as a dad your kids are someday going to get to stand on your shoulders and they're going to get that generational benefit of your obedience and walk with god you know but that doesn't that doesn't in any way when people are listening it doesn't mean that that we're perfect in any way i listen to melanie and the things that come out of her mouth and the experiences that they've had with all three of their kids, including life and death with Zeke, um, and and I tell you, I don't, I don't, I don't know where that comes from. It isn't because she had these two parents that just were off the wall great. <laughs> she had one parent that was off the wall great, but mom is uh, kind of awesome. Mom, mom's <laughs> she pretty, is pretty off awesome. the wall. Um, but we'll I just Sandy want to encourage too. people that are listening. I think in that vein, we've been talking a lot about ministry context, and and I completely echo everything that my dad just said. Um, I, I don't. I don't aspire for anybody to ever hear me and, and I've never ever seen my parents have that, that, that posture. There's never been a space where it's like, you need to watch and, and learn because that's not, that, that's just not biblical. I think what we need to recognize is these children that we're discipling, many of them will go into ministry context, but I love, I love what Wes Stafford says in the resilient documentary that came out. He goes, um, you know, these children are going to be your mayor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And if we don't utilize this moment. And so in that same vein, these resilient children are going to be our doctors and our lawyers and our, our plumbers and our electricians. And they're going to, they're going to work the, the railroad lines and they're going to be at the, the front of culture, either proclaiming the name of Christ or, or choosing to bask away from it because they, they weren't given the foundation that they needed to be able to proclaim it. Yeah. I wish it didn't take the amount of time it's taken 
because I feel like there is this there is this focus now that's being placed, and not just within Awana, right? Like I think a lot of organizations are recognizing this yeah. moment that we're in. Yeah. Very true. Um, but again, like to go back to something that we've 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 discussed, the humility that this place has, and the fact that the tone has been right between everything is fine and everything that exists. Uh, Chris Marchand described it as uh, the four beige walls and the fold-out chairs. Right, that the world is bigger than that, but that if we get this right, if we do the things that you guys spend so much time talking about, the world doesn't have to. We don't have to be in a post-Christian context, yeah, right, as so many hip people like to talk about. <laughs> right, but but until but until there's a crisis, yeah, you know, I, I mean, the 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 way someone becomes resilient is by overcoming, and and the only way to overcome is to have something they have to overcome, mm. and so so there. The, the resiliency comes out of a crisis. And I, 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 think, I think we as uh, Americans, we as Christians in a, in, in a non-Christian world, um, I think there's a crisis in front of us. And we're watching over 100 churches closing, whatever that statistic is, every year, um, you know, in, in the United States. And, you know, I, I think we have a crisis on our hands. And... If you are an active churchgoer involved in your church, you see decline yeah. in some way in your church. And, and 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 you're trying and we're trying to address that, you know? And so so I think the crisis is helping us. And I, I think it I think I don't think the church is is dead in any way and and I, I think God's going to use uh, a lot of ministry today that sees this to be a catalyst. Better than a catalyst, a partner yeah. to the local church yeah. to help. And I, I pray that's what the next, I, I think I want to stick around about another 20 years. So <laughs> please, I hope that we're, we're still God's plan A, right? Like the yeah. local church, the, those of us who are believers, like we are still his, like, I think it's so easy for the world to tell us that like we've failed yeah. right, as parents, right. as, you know, as the church. Right. Mm-hmm. And instead it's like, no, like, like this is still God's plan. And he, it's that's why he gets to be in control. Amen. Well, and he hasn't ushered in the new Eden yet, right? Yes. He hasn't ushered in the new <laughs> kingdom, and so we get to sit in this really awkward um, space where we are both given the power of the Holy Spirit, mm. and we also fight our sin. Yeah. And so, as we continually look into our current context, and I think Ross, this is this is for our generation. Um, you know, my parents were talking a couple of days ago, a couple of weeks, I don't know, time, you know, when you don't sleep, it kind of is all fuzzy. Oh yeah. Um, time is a flat circle. <laughs> um, w- w- they were talking a couple, uh, whenever that time of period was, and they were, they were talking about what it looks like for each generation of believers and even just culture in general to, to shift based on what the generation before them did. And it's just, it's just our nature um, because it's so easy for us to sit in the current context of what we know. And is that not the original sin, right? Think back to Adam and Eve. What did it look like for God to give them everything and then to say, do not eat of this one thing. And then for them to be deceived because it was, it was the now. But, yeah. but I can have that power now. It, it's just a continual, right? That that mm-hmm. that OG sin is present <laughs> in us every single day in the way we make decisions. Thank you so much for listening, especially all the way to the end. If you're still here, you're clearly dedicated to this conversation. And that's why, before you go, I have one more thing. This is that big announcement I mentioned earlier. 
we are launching a second weekly episode of the Resilient Disciples podcast. And I have to thank you for this. You engaging with this podcast as much as you have has created the demand for a second weekly episode. So many of you who listen to this are looking for more practical content that takes everything we've said so far in the podcast and applies it to your local arenas. Also, you should know we're shifting the release of new episodes from Wednesdays to every Tuesday and Thursday. So starting Tuesday, March 3rd, look for the next episode of the Resilient Disciples podcast. I hope you are as excited as I am to dive deeper into the practical elements of resilient child discipleship. Thanks for listening. And I'll talk to you next week. The Resilient Disciples podcast is powered by Awana. Awana is a global nonprofit organization fueled by the generous support of individuals, churches, and organizations, as well as resource sales to accomplish our mission of equipping leaders to reach kids with the gospel and engage them in lifelong discipleship. The podcast is mixed, edited, produced, and hosted by Ross Cochran. Thanks to Kevin Orris and Phil Wallace for making this podcast happen. Go to resilientdisciples.com for resources and many more of these conversations.